Let us pray. Father, on this third Sunday of Advent, we rejoice because of the coming of our Savior as a child and the promise of his return. So even now, draw us close to you. Come among us by your spirit and mold us and shape us and instruct us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you this morning. As you notice, today we lit the third candle on the Advent wreath, the rose-colored candle. Yes, it's rose, not pink, technically. Um, And why is there that there is one color or one candle on the Advent candle that is a different color? Well, today on the church calendar is what's known as Gaudete Sunday, which is Latin for rejoice. And the focus is that this season is drawing to a close, even as our New Testament reading from Philippians chapter 4 told us today, we are to rejoice in the Lord always, rejoice, let your reasonableness be known, the Lord is at hand, or as some translations say, the Lord is near. And so the, the bright color, the rose color is to remind us that the season of hope is coming to its commencement as we prepare to celebrate the birth of our Lord. There are two Sundays on the church calendar when, other than purple, you can use actually rose vestments and rose altar linens as well. It is the third Sunday in Advent and the fifth Sunday in Lent, kind of the same sort of a theme. And we'll talk about that Sunday when the fifth Sunday in Lent arrives. But just to um, kind of highlight that today is a day of focusing on joy and rejoicing in the Lord. Um, and our scripture readings, both from Philippians and also our gospel readings today, bring that to focus. Continuing today in our series from Luke's gospel, Mary, a, joy, a model of joyful surrender. Today's the second of three sermons in which we're looking specifically at Mary's example as she responded to the events preceding Jesus' birth. Last week, last week we looked at Mary's visit to her older relative, Elizabeth, in Luke 1, 39 through 45. And we talked about the fact that both Mary and Elizabeth, as well as Mary's betrothed spouse, Joseph, and Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, were keenly aware that the events that were unfolding were of eternal significance. God's grace and favor had come to them, and especially to Mary, in an incredible way. And they were blessed, we saw, because they trusted and believed God even when they had questions, even while they lacked a full sense of understanding of all that was transpiring. And last week's scripture passage is compromised, as we noted, to a large degree of Elizabeth's prophetic words regarding Mary and the child she was carrying in her womb. Now today and next week, the verses we'll be focusing on are Mary's song in response to what Elizabeth has said prophetically to her. So I want to look at the first part of that song today. This song that Deacon Julie read as our gospel reading is known as the Magnificat. And it has been put to music hundreds, if not thousands of times down through the century. Everything from Gregorian chant all the way up to contemporary Christian music. Not that it matters to you, but my favorite arrangement is Orlando Gibbons, who's a Renaissance composer. Um, His Magnificat, I absolutely love, and some of the staff probably get tired of hearing it play in my office at times. 
But this is a very significant passage of scripture magnifying the Lord. It is included in our prayer book in daily evening prayer. It's one of the canticles that is recited every day as part of evening prayer. It's found on page 45 in the book of common prayer. This song, this Magnificat of Mary expresses the longings of all who are genuinely numbered among God's people. It expresses their longings for the Messiah, the promised one. It expresses their hope that with the coming of the Messiah, things will radically change. The words of Mary's song, though very personal, deeply personal, speak of God's character and God's attributes. And the truths of God, which Mary sings about, are just as much a reality for every one of us who is a believer here and now as they were for her in her day. So I want to begin today by focusing on Mary's praise in verses 45 through 47. Mary begins her song with the words, my soul magnifies the Lord. The Jerusalem Bible translated, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And the idea here is that Mary's praise for God is not simply something that is superficial. It is not lip service. It is not for show. It is not to make an impression upon those who are around her at the moment. Rather, it is truly genuine. It is heartfelt praise coming from the innermost depth of her being. Perhaps while we've never been in Mary's specific situation, some of you have experienced this as well. A moment when thanksgiving and praise for God and a desire to magnify his name welled up in you so powerfully that you couldn't but help but extol and exclaim and proclaim the greatness of the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Does some of you know what I'm talking about? Where God just leads you to erupt in praise in his presence. That's very much what Mary's experiencing. It's the kind of praise for God beginning deep within a believer that is so intense that he or she can't help but to openly and outward proclaim and exclaim God's greatness. To demonstrate and declare that he is the central focus of our lives. In verse 47, Mary continues her song by saying, and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. The word soul in verse 46 and spirit in verse 47 in this context are basically used interchangeably. And Mary's word of praise magnifying God's greatness comes from innermost being, but so does her rejoicing. Mary glorifies God because of who she, who he is. But additionally, she rejoices in him. In other words, she finds a wonderful and uniquely God-given joy in what God has done for her. Mary rejoices in what God has done for her in the past. That's a good reminder to us, a good practice for all of us to incorporate into our lives in moments of uncertainty or confusion or maybe discouragement to remind ourselves exactly what God has done for us in the past, the way he has shown himself faithful and steadfast and true time and time and time again. And as we do that, and as our souls are filled with rejoicing in the Lord's presence, 
even in the midst of struggles, even in the midst of discouragement or uncertainties, he will reframe our perspective to remind us that he is with us and that he is our good and gracious God. So she rejoices in what God has done for her in the past, but she especially rejoices also in the events that are unfolding even in the present. And she rejoices in what God is doing and for choosing her for this unique part in his work in the earth. And she also rejoices because of how God will continue to work in her life. And she knows that he will because God is faithful and that he will work in her life through the baby she is now carrying. And it's important to note that her rejoicing and looking toward the future is not just on behalf of herself. It is also rejoicing in the promises of God in what he was doing for all humanity through Jesus. Because the ministry of the baby that she is bearing, this coming into the world of God as a man, is just dawning. And as the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ uniquely breaks into human time and history, who knows, from Mary's perspective, who knows what great things God will accomplish so we look at all this, it's important that we don't miss a critical point here. Mary's song follows, hear me, Mary's song follows and grows out of what Elizabeth has said upon Mary's arrival at her home. And Mary's response does not allow the focus and the attention to be directed at herself. She makes certain that the focus is directed toward God, that God receives the praise, that God's greatness is enlarged. The joy she expresses is rooted in God. And Mary as his child wants to make absolutely certain that he is receiving the glory. When we in any way or in some measure experience God's favor, when God's favor rests upon us, when God's favor rests upon us, or when God calls and equips us for a special purpose, when he uses us for his glory, we must be careful, brothers and sisters, to make sure that we direct all the praise and the honor and the glory back to him. Our rejoicing must both point us and those we interact with to him. Not in some false sense of humility. Oh, oh, I know it's, it's, it's really the Lord. It's not me. You know, and, and the, the inference there is, come on, tell me how great I am. No, not that. And not to be puffed up and brag about how great and how strong our faith is. But to point back to God. And sometimes we need to be discerning. Sometimes through that, the less said, the better. And at other times, it is appropriate to say much to glorify and to extol the Lord. Mary is a wonderful example of this. Verses 46 and 47 again. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The only appropriate response for the child of God is to return genuine, heartfelt praise and rejoicing back to God. And as we do this, we point those around us to him as well. 
to the gracious God who will save them and work wonderfully in their lives too. That's what is accomplished here through one person's praise. And then the second thing I want to look at this morning in verses 48 through 49 is everyone's hope. Yes, it begins with one person's praise here in Luke chapter one, in this case, Mary's praise, but her praise, our praise points everyone to the only source of true hope and life. God himself, life in this light world and life in the world to come. So we've looked at Mary's praise and rejoicing, but now we need to look in more detail at the reasons behind Mary's rejoicing. And there are really two foundations for this hope we see in verses 48 through 49. First of all, we see God's favor. Look at verse 48 with me. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary refers to herself as God's servant. This is a repeat of the same Greek word we see in Luke 138, where Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Literally, I am the Lord's bond servant or I am the Lord's slave. Not out of constraint, but out of love. Out of love for him. And Mary is keenly aware that from the human perspective, in the world's eyes, her status is extremely low. She's betrothed, not been married, and she's with child. She's a woman, a very young one at that. She's poor. She's a Jew living in Palestine. Beyond that, she's living in Nazareth, this far removed outpost of a village several days distance from the Jewish religious, political, and cultural center. Hundreds of miles from what the world at the time viewed as the hub of Roman civilization in Rome and that region. Yet God, in his great kindness, has looked upon her worldly status, excuse me, looked upon her worldly status and chosen her to bear the Messiah. You know, that tells us a great deal about God. His favor is not based or dependent upon how the world viewed Mary. His favor has nothing to do with your worldly status or my worldly status. First Samuel chapter 16, verse seven reminds us for the Lord sees not as man sees man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So often we as Christians, even here in the United States view things from what I would call a first world perspective where we so often equate temporal worldly success, business success with the blessing of God, with spiritual maturity for someone who's a Christian. And yes, there are many business persons who have been very successful, who are incredibly godly people. But in other cases, that's not the case at all. And it may not have anything to do with spirituality or, or spiritual maturity in Christ. But somehow the default so often in, in the church world in the United States, oh, they're wealthy. Oh, they're prominent. Oh, they're a marquee name. So therefore, they must be a giant in God. And that is not necessarily true at all. And the brothers and sisters in the two-thirds world, some who live in obscurity who we will never know of, this side of heaven, 
who live in villages in poverty, some of those brothers and sisters, and not that poverty is more spiritual than wealth, that's not what I'm saying, but some of those brothers and sisters are giants in the faith. They are giants in the Lord. Next week, we'll be looking at verse 52, which connects with Mary's statement here. Luke 1, 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. The idea of lower humble status applies very directly to Mary's personal situation and the state of pretty much all of God's people in that day. They were of low estate. They were maligned, not highly regarded. From Roman eyes, the only real significance of Palestine was that it was a major crossroads where three continents intersected. Verse 38, excuse me, verse 48 continues with the words, from now on. We can't miss the importance of these words for Mary, for the Jewish nation, for all of humanity, because things are about to change rapidly and drastically with the inbreaking of God's kingdom. Things from now on, from now on, will be different. Because of what God is doing and going to do through this baby Jesus, things are different. And when we encounter the reality of God's kingdom through Jesus Christ, when we come to Christ as Savior, from now on, things are different. Because God begins his transforming work in us. He gives us new life, not just in this world, but for all eternity through Christ. And he begins to remake us and mold us and shape us into the image of God the Son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes onto the scene, brothers and sisters, everything is different. And what the world says is of value and importance isn't necessarily important at all anymore. Because what becomes important are those things which reflect the truth and the reality of God's kingdom those things that derive their value from God's supernatural and eternal standard. Everyone's hope, the first foundation, God's favor. And the second foundation, God's mighty acts. Look at verse 49 with me. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. God acts on behalf of his people. He acts on behalf of Mary, on behalf of all who honor and truly reverence him as their God. Do you understand that just like he has throughout all of history in the lives of his people, God now acts on your behalf? Do you understand that? That God even fights for you? That he is your deliverer, just like he was Old Testament Israel's deliverer, just as he was for Mary. Even as we read about in our Old Testament reading from Zephaniah 3 today, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Do you understand? Do we believe that God graciously acts on your behalf and mine in these ways because we are his people? 
he does. And that, brothers and sisters, should stir us to much praise and rejoicing. Because God's favor is not based on this world's perspective or this world's values. No matter what the world says, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your station in life, when we belong to Christ, even if we are of humble status like Mary, you and I can be assured of God's favor toward us as we continue to fully trust and serve him. Mary gives us a beautiful, wonderful, profound example in Scripture. One person's praise for who God is. One person's rejoicing for what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do in the future. And in her praise, she pointed everyone around her toward God. God calls and equips and powers us to do the same. Understanding that our God's favor is not based, again, on worldly circumstances. Understanding that he is working on our behalf as his people. When we come to grasp those things in ever greater measure, how can we, like Mary, not help but to praise him and to point others to this great God who is our salvation? Let us pray. Father, our souls do indeed magnify you. And our spirits do indeed rejoice in you, God, our Savior. Holy is your name. So, Lord, we ask, fill our hearts in this season with ever greater anticipation, with ever greater rejoicing. And, Lord, stir up in us that praise that shines forth, not from the flesh, but from the throne room of heaven that others would see the light and the life of Christ through us. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name.